0: What I talk about is what I call dual process. In other words, not so much in the United States a bit, but especially in Europe, there's a lot going on in Japan, um, of alternative systems, alternative currency systems, alternative energy systems. People are exploring ways of living outside of the mainstream economic system. Spain alone has something like three hundred twenty five alternative currency experiments going on three hundred twenty five right uh, you know it's so, happening yeah, so I mean what 's happening is that due, by by the phrase dual process, what I mean is that as this system disintegrates, there is the emergence of a kind of shadow political formation that 's getting stronger and stronger, and is saying um You know, we have to talk in terms of what really makes people happy, and it's not having billions of dollars. And therefore, we have to talk about ways of living outside of the dominant culture as the dominant culture collapses. That, I think, is going to happen, you know, just as the Middle Ages finally uh, eroded and disintegrated and gave rise to capitalism.
1: It's interesting. Have you seen uh, the Hunger Games movies? Yes, I have. I have. Okay. I don't really think that's far off from, from here.
0: Oh, no, (laughs) I mean, it's a perfect uh,
1: metaphor for the way we're living.
0: Right, and not far off also, although it was projected as 500 years, I thought it was about 20 away, is a wonderful film called Idiocracy. I don't know if you've seen that. No. Oh, you have to run out and get the DVD immediately. But, I mean, it's basically the total moronization of the culture, you know. Um, But, yeah, The Hunger Games really said it, that this is not far off. And this is what the, the implosion I'm talking about. And so people, especially in Europe, are getting very creative with alternatives that are going to preserve the environment. Even in the United States, for example, there are secessionist movements afoot. Uh, I gave the keynote address a year and a half ago at the annual secessionist conference in Vermont. There's a very vibrant um, secessionist movement in Vermont. Mm-hmm. And so, the design, you know, I think that the United States will break up geopolitically, and I think that these experiments, especially in other places that are really accelerating now, will happen. So that would be, you know, the, the solution. However, to answer... Your original question, well, what do I say to somebody who says, oh, that's fine, but you're talking 40 years down the line. What about right now? What, you know, what, How am I going to live right now? And that's why in this book, Spinning Straw into Gold, I say, you know, success is living in reality. It's not the American dream, and it's not when your ship is going to come in. That ship will never come in. So you've got to live in reality right now. And then going back to the Twilight book and our previous interview, in that book I talk about what I call the new monastic option. In other words, you withdraw to some extent from society and you dedicate yourself to the preservation of what's the best in American civilization. There are all kinds of ways to do that, but you will not be happy without a rich inner life. Exactly. You know, and since you cannot change the overall configuration, I mean, I... It wasn't even an attempt, really, but Occupy Wall Street was the latest, you know, attempt to say, uh, we need a different type of system. And frankly, it collapsed like a limp, limp noodle. I mean, they had no political platform. They had no political organization. It, It went nowhere, and that's what you would expect. And so finally, there is no turning around of this system. It does have to disintegrate.
1: Right, right. And in the meantime, don't be running around buying a bunch of stuff. Develop a rich inner life, as you say in your book, Spinning Straw into Gold. Um, What about the, I would say, ambiguous role of technology in all of this?
0: Well, it got to a point, I would say around 1920 or 1930, where we didn't really need any more of it. In other words, medical advances... Uh, The technology of medical advances are so specialized, like heart transplants, for example. Very few people can afford these things. If we had just stopped with all that stuff and instead say, how do we extend medical care to everybody in the country? That's a social technology. And that would be much better than a literal, physical, technical technology to do. Um, We are in a situation now where, thanks to screens, there's been a lot of study of the impact of screens on the human brain and especially it's affecting young people because they were brought up in their culture it actually affects the synaptic connections in the brain and it's making those screens are making people dumber and dumber by the year people can't read when they read online with ebooks or Kindle uh, what happens is they scan It's not the kind of thing where you go into yourself and figure out who you are as opposed to the protagonist of a novel or something like that. One is just scanning with stuff on virtual reality. And so one thing after another, we had reached a point where technology was serving our needs. And yet that's the endless frontier, you see. Um, Why do we need 47 varieties of razor blades? You know, two would be enough. Right. That there's no end to what you can do with this, and then finally, of course, you get the NSA and spying and surveillance, uh, the technology that Thin Thread program that they developed, so that they can trace words like Occupy, for example, through literally billions of emails, and then identify you as a you know somebody who is um, a dissenter or a problem potential troublemaker and so that's a great use of technology. Oh. What happened to the land of the free?
1: You know? Oh Morris, I got a call this week from a banker at JP Morgan, Chase, where I have a checking account. <laughs> a checking account. They wanted me to answer so many personal questions and they said they have been tasked now to go to all of their um clients and ask all this personal information. He literally asked me where I got the money. I'm sixty years old. I've run a very successful publishing company for many years. I'd you know, like you to
0: bring that publishing company back, by the
1: way. I have just announced that I'm bringing it back.
0: I've got a book for you.
1: Well, there you go. <laughs> There's a reason you came on the show today.
0: <laughs> Judith, we have to talk. We, we to
1: do. quite seriously, I wrote my agent
0: just two days ago. I wrote my agent. I said, look, I'm about to do this thing with Judith Reagan. I'm very much looking forward to it. What happened to her publishing company? He wrote back, and he says, as far as I know, it doesn't exist anymore. Meanwhile, he's shopping. I just wrote a book on Japan, and he's shopping it around. Well, you know? tell
1: him. Uh you can then get you're alive and well. I am alive and well and uh he can contact me through my uh producer. I don't want to give out my email. No, no, the, I'll I'll
0: I'll send it to James.
1: Yeah, send it to James the yeah. your your uh, agent's information. No, I'm starting a new publishing company. I'm coming back. I am doing new, innovative, interesting things. Yeah, you were doing good books. Yeah. And life books. matters. It matters. We're doing some good stuff and I'm looking forward to uh your proposal.
0: That's terrific.
1: Um Back to technology. What about the internet? Is there is there any upside, just in terms of linking people in some important way to share ideas? Because there, you know, if you if you study the internet, it's a little bit of everything because it's just a technological tool. But so, so much has been revealed about human nature and the dark side and the hateful side and the pornographic side, and it seems to uh, get all of the heat um, and all of well, the speak, attention. Speak.
0: Speaking of the pornographic side, the stats are that 94% of Internet use is for pornography.
1: I'm not surprised.
0: Ninety-four. You know, I mean, so we have 6% that could be considered intelligent until you go online and see what that 6% is.
1: So, <laughs> they're following Justin Bieber. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. I mean, this is where the American head is, thanks to this technology. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and and so, uh, I mean, look, it's great for me because I live in Mexico, and Uh, if I didn't have the net in order to do the research you know every three months I would have to come up to uh, Austin and use the University of Texas library and you know and, and, yeah. and all that I don't have to do that I can do it all online I have access to all that. it's wonderful I also run a blog all of 132 people are registered in a nation of 315 million but that's fine I mean we have great discussions on the blog and, and frankly but I wouldn't kid myself that it constitutes a true family virtual connections are not ultimately real connections real connections consist of the human body yeah. You know, that somebody, you are in a room with other bodies. And all this excitement that went down with um, Arab Spring, where's Arab Spring now? You know, I mean, it, this cannot happen on the basis of uh, virtual reality. It's just virtual. Right. And the tendency in the United States, in, in the book I wrote before, Spinning Straw, it was the third in the Empire, American Empire series, it's called Why America Failed. I have a whole chapter called The Illusion of Progress, which is about technology as America's hidden religion, and we worship this stuff. Oh, it I know. You know, we worship, It doesn't matter if it's a if it's a moonshot or um, the Erie Canal or you know the latest the latest PlayStation. We worship this stuff, and we see that as solutions. I was at an airport a few months ago. There was it was a Wired magazine. I can't remember. There was an interview with Bill Gates. And then I think another one with Obama. I think I'm correct about that. But both of them were saying technology is the answer. This is what Americans believe. How long of technology being destructive does that have to happen for you finally to turn around and say, you know, we've gotten to the point that technology is the problem and not the solution? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not going to happen in the United States because, I mean, one thing I talk about in, in these books is the brainwashing is extremely powerful. And when I say one of the major problems in the United States is that Americans are stupid, I don't mean just in terms of IQ. Robert McNamara had one of the highest IQs in the history of the world. He may have been the dumbest guy on the planet while he was alive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it is not a question of, well, you were born in the ghetto and you're ignorant or something like that. I mean, how do you say that Dick Cheney is intelligent? You know, (laughs) what a joke that
1: is. Yeah. So where do we go from here? We have a rich inner life. How do Honestly, we? I, you did it. You went to Mexico. Tell me. Tell me what you did. Well, I didn't
0: have. Quite, I mean, I have to be quite candid here and admit that I didn't have the inner strength to resist the culture. I wanted to I very much. I was living in Washington D.C., which is the worst of the worst. I don't know if you've seen that series, House of Cards. Oh yeah. Boy, is that accurate?
1: Like, yeah, culture. totally. Yeah,
0: right on. And my notion was that I was going to be a lotus in a cesspool. And what happened was, after eight years in Washington, I was just a dirty lotus. My plan didn't succeed, and I was getting spiritually sicker by the day. And finally, I realized that the only way for me, the only way for me to escape the categories of the American value system was to escape America. Because as long as I was immersed in it on a daily basis— and I was watching TV and I was hearing about Claritin and Lunesta and one, th- you know, one bit of nonsense after another. And as long as I was immersed in that, I was not going to heal. I was not going to improve. And I saw that. I saw that. I saw what the rest of my life would be like. And so I left. And the first year was just, which was 2006, six seven, was just chilling out. It was just decompressing from this corporate commercial wraparound culture that gets you by the throat so you can't breathe anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was just a chilling out. I mean, I live in a small town. You know what I mean? It's just quite quiet. And then, starting in 2007, I wrote five books in five years.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: They just fell out of me, right. including spinning straw into gold. They just literally fell out of me. And it was like they were effortless. And that's what happens when... You don't have all that noise in your head.
1: and You've you de- developed clarity.
0: Yeah. You just sit in the stillness. And you know what? Stuff emerges on its own. It does. It just emerges on its own. I wrote Spinning Straw into Gold in 24 hours. Amazing. I, yeah. I never imagined it would happen. I was staying with a, a friend in Mexico City. She actually was traveling. She wasn't there. But I had the key to her apartment. I sat down and my favorite chair. It's this really comfortable chair. I think. I didn't get up except to go to the bathroom for 24 hours. That comes about by this endless pressure being removed. Because if what we're really on this earth to do is to spin straw into gold, it's really finally to be creative and to give that to the culture. Then in order to do that, you can't be living somebody else's life
2: Now, as an antidote to the techno-scepticism of Maurice Berman, I present a young British man, a new speaker on the show, Mr. Chris Larkham, who spent several years working on a piece of software. I believe it's still under development. It's called NoMap. It aims to align people's requests and offers in order to help them realise their visions. A moneyless operating system for Gaia, Therefore, free of the various corruptions of institutionalized wealth, he's made a conscious effort in its design to try to align the technology with how humans like to operate. I've just discovered him through the wonders of the Internet, which even Morris Berman admits has its finer points. Such synchronicity is definitely one of them. This is an audio which I found and then rethought my decision. I was going to take a holiday. I thought, no, this matches my own ambitions so much. I think I need to put this on the show and get it out there. Now I've trimmed it slightly to clean up the audio and to fit in the time available.
3: I guess it really began when I was about 22 years old, right between my master's degree and PhD. So I'd spent a year of intensely studying a topic which was an interdisciplinary topic called evolutionary and adaptive systems which is systems theory and studying natural adaptive systems looking at nature and how it's organized or self-organized and then how can we learn from nature to create adaptive and intelligent technologies so it was partly science and partly engineering and that gave me a different way of looking at things, a more non-linear, whole systems way of looking at things. And the way I was perceiving the world after that was different to the way I was perceiving the world before it. So that master's degree was quite unusual. And um, I think all of the people on the course were quite affected by it um, positively. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really after that. And I experienced a really profound spiritual awakening. And it was, I would say, catalyzed by LSD, a festival. And um, it was almost like a rebirth experience for me. And at that point, everything shifted. And I went from being quite agnostic, really. I I had been sort of identified with atheism, but I moved into an agnostic space. Um, And then I had this spiritual experience, and I went back to a more... I went to a kind of spiritual space where I integrated science with spirituality through, I guess... Geometry. <laughs> so um, I had this transcendent experience where my sense of self changed, and I felt as though, well, I was it was more in the feeling. It was a knowing that I was everyone, and I guess my ego really took a kind of back seat. Basically, I, I could see that all religions were pointing to a transcendent or transcendental truth or reality beyond the words, beyond the metaphor. Somehow, all the religions were pointing to something that is ontologically real, uh, an experience of higher or expanded consciousness, and as as a scientist, and I was very much in in the scientific reality at the time, I couldn't deny what I was experiencing because it was a direct knowing, and I thought to myself, you know, how can I take this back with me? And the only language I could really use was sort of based on geometry, so at that point I kind of rewired my nervous system and my journey really began. I'm interested in psychedelics, but um, yeah, it's kind of still semi-taboo to discuss it in a, in the Western mm-hmm. culture, but um, that's now changing with research. You know, not everyone experiences a spiritual or religious experience, but it certainly happens and it's, you know, well documented. But the map is not the territory. Really, the territory I experienced that day transformed me and in my life was not the same from that point And I never looked back and it really like I kind of began the mission of, you know, because I could see I could see it was almost like everyone was kind of somehow outside of the now. And it seemed as though everyone was seeking something like that's in the future. And I felt as though if we could communicate that scientifically, maybe we could create a different experience on the earth that was more joyful and peaceful. Mm. But I you, like, carry on what happened after no, that. <laughs>
4: let me just ask a question about what happened. So you have had this awakening, which is really happening to many people. And I think it's really important stories that we share our stories of awakening, because it's like we, we crack open the veils and we, we see through the limitations of, of the programming, so to speak. And we open ourselves up to new realities and new ways of seeing, which is so perfect, given your... Your background you're studying epigenetics and
3: um, yeah. with yeah and so I experienced um, a, a higher level of synchronicity than normal and that really led me to question the fundamental beliefs I had about physics and the way the world operates
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, and and also like you know what is enlightenment I, I experienced a, a sort of temporary enlightened state so I, I began an investigation I read every book I could I was on the Internet um, and then I went into my PhDs, you know, having had that experience. So I was now doing kind of two things, really my um, PhD, which was really pursuing my curiosity and interest in AI, artificial intelligence oh. and consciousness, because I've always been fascinated by consciousness. And it was really my way of trying to understand what I am. What is this? Why are we here? Answering these big philosophical questions. For me, AI was my way of doing that synthetic methodology so i was pursuing that but simultaneously i was experimenting on my own consciousness and i began to experiment with different psychedelics so i was really doing it for self-exploration and to understand you know what this is about you know what what is possible and so I, i i was studying consciousness from the inside and the outside simultaneously and i think that enabled me to find a kind of balance between the objective and subjective i had a fair amount of free time or flexible amount of time it, during the PhD and I then watched every documentary I could online. Um and I, I had access to you know the internet obviously and the the library um at the university and I came across works by Abraham Maslow and um Timothy Leary, Terence McKenna and you know, these uh, these people were really important to me at the time because they made sense of what I was experiencing in a way okay. that um most uh, authors somehow couldn't, and I know that Barbara Marx Hubbard, her influences, um, the the mm-hmm. people she feels have touched her deeply, are very. They're the same set of people, pretty much, um, mm-hmm. in, including Aldous yeah, Huxley and um, Abraham Maslow, and, and it felt as though there were a small set of people who had ventured into this new space of conscious experience and mapped that territory, and I was. I was sort of seeing them as, you know, transcendentalists, I guess you could say, um, so it's a, they ventured into a larger territory of human consciousness or transhuman consciousness, and then I, I just really felt as though... Um, th- then what happened is I got drawn into an a- activist reality, and I, I was temporarily interacting with the Zeitgeist Movement, and I helped screen the film a few times, and I, I really could feel the pain of, the, of humanity and, and the Earth. Um, because humanity is part of the Earth. And um, I could see, based on studying the scientific data available, that our hydrocarbon-based society is completely unsustainable. And perhaps that's a good thing, because um, it's painful to be in this reality of consumption and uh, disconnection and separation. So I felt as though, basically, if humanity was to survive another 10 or 20 years, I think 20 being optimistic, 10 being safe, we had to radically change our trajectory. And by trajectory, I mean the basic way we think, perceive, interact, how we deal with technology, how we relate to each other, everything. And I I was looking at it from a whole systems perspective because of my background. And I felt as though this kind of reductionist, purely left brain cognition way of thinking, way of perceiving was actually intrinsic to the problem in the first place, part of the problem. So it's, as Einstein says, um, we Mm -hmm. would need to change our thinking to solve the problems, uh, because it's you you can't solve problems with the same kind of thinking that created them. So here I was on the internet, uh, experimenting with my consciousness in in my spare time, and, and on the internet, watching all these documentaries, and I felt, really, I had to do something um because I was in a unique position to do something and I felt it I just felt like, well, if not me then who and if not now then when and who else is doing anything? And I I, I felt as though I saw one possibility for one probable future reality that we could co create to escape this kind of entropic consumption paradigm and that was really uh, inspired through the resource-based economy concept and the Venus Project which is quite technocratic but the essence of it for me was sharing and symbiosis and I resonated with that on a deep level and I felt as though it complements nature's natural operating system of self-organizing ecosystems that it's win-win symbiosis and so it's really sharing and and having a it's moneyless. It's going beyond money and sharing resources in a way that is optimal um, in in re- reference to the, our natural sort of biological homeostasis. So we would optimize the life support systems to minimize labor, to maximize health and well-being, not just for human beings, but for the whole biosphere. So I decided that I would put energy into creating that because it felt to me as though the money system and the economy was the big thing holding us back. Uh, because all of the pieces of the puzzle seem to be there. The solutions are there, and they were there when I started this four years ago. Um, But I felt like, how can we bring them together? How can we bring those pieces of the puzzle together, make them visible, give energy to them and create them? How can we do that in this economy, in this socioeconomic system, in this way of thinking? And And it seemed as though what needed to change was the way of thinking, the worldview, and then the socioeconomic system. So, I started a project called SERBI, which is stands for Scalable Resource Based Economy. That was what became NUMAP, and um, it's I, I ended up spending more and more time on this idea until I got to the point where I I could no longer stay in academia, and I, I began to realise how the the system itself really um, and the way of thinking that is goes with that is is what's holding us back, and I, I felt more and more inhibited and held back by the academic system, and I became completely disillusioned with the academic system, and began to discover that the world was world was far stranger than I ever imagined, and that basically I felt quite angry, as though I'd been lied to about everything. Um, and I think I went more and more down the rabbit hole, and each in each step I took, I feel I took carefully and following a, a scientific method, but expanding my concept and understanding of science and ontology uh, to include consciousness and the subjective felt direct experience at the moment, which to me is now fundamental. Um, and things got quite cosmic uh, <laughs> basically, uh, but I, I still feel like I am a rational being and I, I look at observational evidence and I consider other people's opinions and I have an intention not to cling to any particular belief systems and i, I like to uh, take in as much information as i can and uh, so i you know i understand that some of the things I, I say are controversial but for me it's it's still it's always been a rational journey uh, mm-hmm. never i or a trans rational journey but not irrational mm-hmm. um yeah i, I want to that makes... that's, i want
4: to just uh jump in with a few uh, uh comments so, like, when you were saying how continuing to watch those assumptions about what's true, I'm reminded of David Bohm's work as a, as, a, as a quantum physicist in the peak of his field. He was deeply influenced by uh, Krishnamurti, and he devoted himself to, like, what would it take to change consciousness, and he felt that it, was, it would be in, in dialogue spaces where people would l- let their egos and their assumptions about reality go then they would step into a really, truly generative field, which would be the quantum field of infinite uh, potential. Okay. So I love hearing how you are in the rational and the trans and cosmic. It's like such a beautiful, it, it feels to me very whole. You feel like a, that feels like a whole being to me when you describe yourself in that way. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm also reminded of, of Buckminster Fuller's quote about not being victims of our circumstances, but architects of our future. And the work, what the choices that you made, you even with feeling the kind of the oh, the pain uh, of the suffering that's happening on our planet uh, uh, in so many ways, uh, that to choose to create. So I just really want to honor you for for that and that courage and the devotion because I believe that, that those are the ingredients that it takes for everyone to bring them their gifts forward, which I really see you um, doing, you know, bringing your gifts forward. I want to read a beautiful quote from Peter Russell um, about toward a global brain and, and use that as a, a stepping-off point into uh new map. and uh, And just then we can dive in. So this is Peter Russell from his book, Toward a Global Brain. The Internet will be able to form new associations, synthesize information, creating new knowledge, and perhaps solve problems presented to it. There we go, that AI. It will then have become a system that can learn and think for itself. The changes this will bring will be so great that their full impact may well be beyond our imagination. For some. (laughs) No longer will we perceive ourselves as isolated individuals. We will know ourselves to be part of a rapidly integrating global network, the nerve cells of an awakening global brain. That quote, I know, must have some resonance for you and in the work that you, your studies, and then in what you've been creating with new methods, a new way of mapping the planet from a whole system perspective because we don't really get to see what's most important or what's the most relevant information maybe just use that as a starting point into like, what, what new map can, what is new map, what's its fundamental sort of basis? And we can define some of those terms and then let's dive in.
3: Yeah, sure. So, um, so that's, I, I love that quote. And, um, the, uh, association with the global brain is very relevant to new map. Um, new map, in itself, really... I, I sort of tend to make a distinction between the, the technology and the application of it. So the, the application of it is just as important as the raw what it is. Um, but what it is really, map is a c- communication technology. And uh, it's based on the concept of a holon. So a holon means whole and apart, something that's simultaneously a whole and apart. And through new map, it's possible to map our perception of energy as holons. So you can have a holon containing a holon containing a holon, and it has this Russian doll fractal geometry. And for me, a holon also relates to the concept of a system. Again, back to the systems theory, the whole systems thinking that everything can affect and is associated and linked to everything else. Um, to me, the holon is the essential core geometry behind the concepts or word system. So it's also a slightly stealthy way of bringing, the con- bringing systems thinking to to uh, a wider audience um, through NUMAP. So by using NUMAP, uh, it, it kind of helps you think in systems because of the HOLON being the fundamental thing behind a system so a system what is a system system is observer dependent and you can say uh this system contains subsystems and these subsystems contain sub subsystems and this system is contained in a super system and that that really the the thing that's going on there is you've got this nested structure so the holon captures that so then we have a whole new form of media when we start to map perception or energy using holons so really new map is delivering a new form of media and I call that a holonic map or you could call it a holonomic map as well. Um, and you could think of it as mapping thoughts and things, but I tend to really look at it as we're mapping our perception. So it's really our consciousness that we're mapping and, and also the activity of the nervous system. And this is what leads into the global brain association, because if we're collectively mapping on, our consciousness, our perception, our experience, then we're also collectively mapping our nervous system. So from a planetary perspective, you could see the nervous system of humanity, the collective nervous system of humanity as the nervous system of the earth. And the, the term noosphere is, is, has been, well, there's several definitions. One of them is the mental layer, the, the sheath of mental or th- a thinking layer around the earth. So the mind of the earth and so humanity's nervous system is is the nervous system of the earth. Or And as, as we become conscious of that, we begin to create a conscious noosphere, not just a noosphere. We already have a noosphere, but we're going to have a self-conscious noosphere that thinks of itself as the noosphere. And as I'm actually saying this now, I'm actually creating that truth, creating that reality, becoming conscious that I'm not just an individual, but I am the earth thinking through this particular Gaia cell, <laughs> if that makes sense.
4: So as a Gaia cell, so I just want people to really get this because everyone uses the internet, everyone. And right now we think, this is as good as it gets. This is good. This is good. I get to communicate and I can talk to people anywhere and I can do voice over IP and I have my little Facebook account and I have a Twitter and I'm on LinkedIn and then we got all these little like little isolated kind of communities everywhere, and, and from a certain vantage point, it looks, it looks pretty good, except we don't see ourselves as part of the larger whole. So if that worldview of fragmentation that we kind of alluded to is operating, then what does that actually mean in terms of our ability to be compassionate, or I don't see myself as connected to these others, but, but I don't even recognize that we're one or that there's a unity consciousness at play here. So it feels yes. to me like you're, you're you're speaking directly to the fulcrum point of what can radically shift the consciousness from fragmentation to a living Internet.
3: Yes. Well, um, people, I've, I think, uh, as far as I can see, people are beginning to realize now that the problems that we're facing around the world, poverty, ecocide, biospheric destruction and pollution, scarcity, you know, the list is, is endless, really. Well, it's not endless, but there's a long list of global systemic emergent problems that can't seem to be solved by just changing policies or, you know, we, we, we seem to need something really radical to, to go beyond this this level of existence. And what I would like to see is a thriving existence where everyone has, you know, Buckminster Fuller style, we, we meet the needs of 100% of humanity unconditionally everyone has food shelter water how do we do that so we can thrive and unleash our creative potential and it seems as though it's a shift in thinking it's a fundamental shift in the way we think and perceive because when you understand the process of creation and what's being called manifestation in the new age literature and um, reality world it really begins to some extent in the mind so through the imagination, through our thinking, we create our experience and the physical reality. So, and a big part of that is how we think of ourselves in the world. So if I think of myself as being a purely physical being that's separate to everyone else, then that will lead to a certain way of behaving and a way of perceiving. And for me, in my own journey, and this is reflected in New Numap, I've, I've, I've found a balance between being the whole and being the part, and <laughs> that is being a whole and a part simultaneously, which is, again, a synergy more than the sum of its parts. So I am a separate individual and, you know, and I'm the whole. That's how I perceive myself now. And to me, that geometry is a balance between the masculine and feminine, the feminine being the whole, the circle, the masculine being uh, a part. So it's a whole and a part, which is something novel. It's I, I liken it to the spiral. I kind of think of it as a spiral, Mm-hmm. Is, which is a balanced structure, um, which is also fractal. It's a simple fractal structure, a spiral. Um, so if we start mapping everything with holons, I think that actually helps us to think in terms of holons. And what I was going to say about NUMAP that, that specifically was that it's a technology and when the nervous system, when it when the being interacts with the technology, it adapts. We are adaptive. We adapt to things. So when you're using Facebook, you're adapting to Facebook. When you're using MySpace, you're adapting to MySpace or YouTube or whatever. And it has an effect on us. We adapt to it. It changes us. And then we we start to use it. And it really becomes an extension of the mind and body, the mind body. So people are saying we're already cyborgs, right? We We are extending our mind into... The technology already. We're already doing it, maybe just not fully consciously. So the iPhone becomes an extension of the mind body and the memory in the iPhone becomes an extension of the nervous system. So so I I've reflected on that and I thought, well, if I'm adapting to Facebook, what effect is that really having on me? Is that healthy for me or is that healthy for the planet or is it not healthy? And, and I started to feel like we needed to design technology that the effect it has on us is not neutral, it's actually beneficial. So with mm-hmm. Numap, I actually designed it so that it would have a positive effect on the nervous system to you know, as, as best it could, based on the understanding I had at the time. So I, if you look at nature, it's not made of boxes and lines. It's not made of um, Euclidean geometry. The basic shapes we use in our Western culture for architecture and in our thinking and science aren't really what nature uses. Nature tends to be more fractal and spirally and curvy, and there's a different kind of geometry to it. So my feeling was if we could align ourselves with nature and the geometry nature's using, maybe when our nervous systems adapt to the technology, it would be more like it's adapting to nature, which is a healthier thing, because our physical bodies are essentially nature, like we're part of nature. We might feel like we're people, we might think we're people. But again, that's just a belief, that's just a perception, and the body has its own truth. The body is fractal, it's holonomic, it's made of, you know, there are body parts that contain sets of, you know, organs, or, uh, you know, systems, and then those contain um, different tissues, and so there are all We're of- a
4: galaxy within ourselves, we have 150 trillion cells, and so, each of those cells yeah. has DNA, and each of those DNA is like two and a half inches long, so, Wow.
3: And you can totally see there's a mirroring as above, so below style right. between a human body and an ecosystem or a planet or a galaxy. And we really, and, and then this leads into the whole biocentric perception of consciousness, existence, the universe. It starts to look as though the universe is alive. The universe is a being. It's not just this empty clockwork, dumb machine. It's a intelligent system it's alive it's self-regulating self-organizing self-creating it's autopoietic it's it's syntropic it's intelligent you know it's who knows what's out there i mean i feel like we're only really perceiving our own little bubble of human consciousness in this vast sea of potential experiences but it looks as though it's intelligent when we start to look at the new science and really suspend our kind of you know, Newtonian, Cartesian belief systems that we inherited through the education system and, you know, sort of the mass media and whatever other inputs there are there. But, but going back to what I was saying, like the um, new map, because it's based on a geometry that is more resembling nature, I think that when we use it, it has a more of a beneficial effect on us. So w- when we adapt to new map, because its geometry is aligned with nature, we're adapting back to nature. So for me, I, I would say... I like to think of it as a mildly cognitive-enhancing technology or or a psychedelic technology.
4: It it is, and it it absolutely is. And I wanted to share a a very brief story of my own experience of, um, you know, there's Daniel Pink. He's a well-known New York Times uh, writer, bestseller, and one of his books is called The Whole Brain Thinking and Why Right-Brainers Will Rule the Future, and um, and Andy talks about how we've been so left brain, and and we we've, we've come to the limits of of that uh, aspect of ourselves in terms of handling the complexity on the planet and the crises and the ability to tap into the collective intelligence. And um, so, with that in mind, I remember being on New Map with you, and we were we spent it was maybe like. I don't know, half an hour and we were zooming in and out and I have to describe how the holons work. Like you can go zoom in infinitely and zoom out and you can always be feeling the part and the whole. And when we got off New Map and then we started talking, not being on inside New Map, you were talking and I had because I'm so clairsentient and very kinesthetic, I had the experience of my right brain and my left brain we're talking to each other in a new way. And I called it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I am experiencing colonic listening. Not just listening from what I know and listening at the left brain or even the right brain, but this whole brain listening. And it was directly, and that was a half an hour within NewMet. So I really can imagine that there is this profound rewiring happening because of it. And so that mildly psychedelic is, is, is like opening the doors of perception and our capacities to access more of our brain's capacity. Right now they say that we're at 10%. It feels to me like what you're talking about is opening the doors into uh, greater access to our intelligence and our wisdom of not just ourselves but of the, the membrane around the larger uh, field. So being able to, like Bruce Lipton talks about, like, oh, then that larger on of that larger system we can actually touch into that intelligence and access it with new map in a way that we can't with the current
3: uh, system you know as a holon we're part of many different systems nature knows we're part of the biosphere for example and if we just think with the left brain we might not recognize the the context yeah the, the whole and mm-hmm. that we're in like we're in a community we're in the biosphere we're in the planet we're in the galaxy we're in the universe and to me all of these perspectives are equally valid and equally useful and relevant and i think that if we could see ourselves as a part of a larger whole and simultaneously individuals then we would consider maybe the effects of our actions on people the other side of the earth and i think this is this is what we need to really make the shift we we need that kind of awareness because i mean you pick up a phone uh, and you can affect the energy on the other side of the earth. I mean, that's technologically, perhaps there's other ways of affecting the, the earth that we don't recognize. But we, we are becoming a, a global culture, global civilization. Um, and I think that unless we really align ourselves with nature, and that includes the way nature thinks and it self-organizes, then we're going to find it hard to survive, let alone thrive. But I do think that we can thrive absolutely totally and if possible i'd really like to discuss the application of new map because to me that's equally important you know how do we use the technology um mm-hmm. are we just going to do whatever we want or is there some kind of alignment that we need to make with nature and it feels like that doesn't it it's like mm-hmm. you know we can't just use an arbitrary bit of technology and ignore the consequences to the mm-hmm. trees and the air it's important that we have this awareness, this right brain function of the context that we're playing in. We're growing up as a species and we're becoming more aware of the consequences of our actions. We can't just have a party and leave a mess everywhere. We need to, you know, have a, you know, it's conscious partying. We need to, we can have fun and live in bliss and ecstasy, but we can't just you know soil we our can't throw
4: things away anymore there is no away throw it away no there exactly. is no way
3: and, and unless we trash the planet and then expand into space and trash more and more planets and i don't think that's advisable but um <laughs> uh yeah even so so what can we do we can align ourselves what does that mean and it, it, and it seems to me like a fundamental concept is homeostasis. What's coming up for me in the right now, and, and to be in the right now, and, and when obviously in in the re- the moment that this is recorded, is is the word synteny. Synteny is the alignment with creation experienced as inner motivation, inner knowing, intuition from an archetypal perspective. It's it's this more feminine, the feeling, the subjective mm. um, that are patriarchal. Um, it, sort of more masculine culture is neglected maybe and it seems that through through the feminine energy we can bring back in our intuition and inner motivation and the the feeling and through that we can align ourselves with nature. We want to create and apply new maps so that it acknowledges the, this subjective feeling, syntonic intelligence, syntonic knowing and um, that is leading me to map specific frequencies and do specific things and mainly it's it's sort of going within and following your bliss and the word that comes up is passion so it seems as every it seems as everyone has something that excites them inside and maybe it was more conscious more obvious when they were a child and it it can get buried but inside everyone there's something that we're excited about and that brings us a lot of joy it's it's a self-rewarding action It's usually creative. And what you find is that when people are in their bliss and doing what they would naturally be doing if they had all their needs met, you know, and they're just having fun, they're playing, what they create actually benefits not just them, but the whole. Now, that's actually not arbitrary or a coincidence. To me, that's actually indicative of higher intelligence, actually, probably programmed in the DNA and I, I don't want to get... I'm getting a bit speculative because I don't know. No, but have that's the,
4: perfect because that goes yeah. back to Abraham Maslow and uh, self-realization and human individual potential into social potential and absolutely yeah. is like where we're evolving to.
3: Exactly. And Bar- Barbara's narrative and, you know, universal humanity and we're moving into a, a new way of... It's like universal humanity, it's it's beyond the planet, it's extraterrestrial, there's the supramental force and it's all kind of leading us to see that we're not at the top of the hierarchy in terms of the evolutionary you know ladder or whatever however you want to perceive it. There is intelligence beyond human intelligence. Not just out there, but here, because here is here. <laughs> there is only here uh, from it's my everything. perspective. But. Maybe
4: frame a little bit for us about the profile for the holons and the contact holons just just a little bit of a sketch yeah. within new map as the um, a kind of a, a social network because this is a yes. fundamental sort of uh, aspect of what new map is and what you've been uh, intuiting with the syntonic order of the cosmos
3: yeah so we want to use new and apply it to really facilitate and empower this new emerging paradigm of co-creation and co-creation, it involves this syntonic dimension. It involves this inner motivation. It involves this passion that we feel. So we're going to be mapping and things like the, actually the actual set of frequencies, the set of holon types, if you like, are right now uh, passion, vision, and it kind of begins with passion and vision, and then desire, intention, skill, resource. And then we have additional things like events and but the just mapping those first five frequencies of co-creation, um, vision, passion, desire, intention, skill, and then maybe resource the sixth one. That will allow us to make visible the energy around us in a way that helps us co-create. So we we're gonna be able to see each other's passions, we're gonna be able to see each other's visions. That that a vision really is like A big desire something that we really want that is maybe like a dream it's like you know free shelter throughout the planet for everyone or um clean oceans or you know a vision is like a big desire and a passion is something that brings us excitement and makes us feel alive so we can make visible those energies around us. Imagine everyone mapping their visions and passions. So that's the first two frequencies. The next two, desire and intention, become relevant when we start to act on those passions and visions and we start to create around those passions and visions. We start to follow our bliss, our passion, and create things. We start to look at our vision and think, how can I make that happen? How can I make that real and physical? So we have specific desires that spring up And out of those desires spring specific intentions and then actions follow. So there's this spectrum of co-creation or manifestation in terms of the frequencies. And we can map the energy around us on those specific frequencies. And then once we can see what people are passionate about, what visions are there, what is wanted and what is desired and what people are intending and what they're doing and maybe the skills and resources involved in in actually in those actions, then we can use that data to actually facilitate the process of creation or co-creation itself to empower communities to self-organize and manifest their dreams. And I think that's how we're going to co-create the new earth by seeing what is around us and connecting spontaneously based on our inner motivation rather than some external Thing or agenda or system that's being imposed on us rather than de- acting out of survival and you know, choosing from a predefined set of jobs that are really just there to kind of perpetuate our existence and to meet our basic needs. We're actually we can somehow free ourselves of that by meeting our basic needs in ways that don't compromise our ability to pursue our passion and our visions and then when when enough people do that Together, we'll see that it's not arbitrary. The visions and the passions we have are part of a larger plan. And when we act on our passions and visions and co-create, we we become like a puzzle piece that fits together with, all, with everyone else becoming a puzzle piece. And the puzzle is Gaia, and the puzzle is Gaia's plan because it's a plan-et. It's an extraterrestrial plan. <laughs> so, so, you see where it's going, and it's um,
4: beautiful, Chris. I want to just—I don't—I don't want to interrupt you, but we have just three minutes, and I don't want to in, in cut you off um, in two minutes or in three minutes. So we clearly need to do part two to really go and dive into kind of the application. And I love how you're mapping um, the frequencies of co-creation, and then what I want to make sure that we cover before we're done is a, a place to connect with you. And also, if you would want to name for people any um, needs of you and NUMAP that we could just plant into the NOAA sphere um, in this moment, because we can continue to plant that um, request um, out there. So let's just make sure people can find a way to connect with you. How would you like them to do that?
3: My website right now. um, Mm -hmm. So I'm saying that because... the it might change. So I'll have a contact me page on my website. And then if, if you look on there, then I'll put on there the best way to contact me.
4: Perfect. So that's Larky, L-A-R-K-Y dot O-R-G, right?
3: Yeah. And also Chris dot com as well. But yeah, either of those two.
4: Perfect. Perfect. So, um, for everybody, that's easy. Larky dot O-R-G and new map will be arriving. You'll be able to dance in that field. Um, soon, but through Chris, this is a great a great uh, doorway. And quickly, anything that's right at the top of the list that you'd like to name for a need? And then we'll just close
3: in like 30 seconds. Um, I think the, the number one thing is we need enthusiastic, passionate people who resonate with us coming forwards and co-creating with us. And beyond that, we could do with more money, financial support, Um, without strings attached that take us out of this new frequency and energy.
2: Now, if this seems rather speculative, let's reflect with the help of a snippet from episode 511 on the way that decisions are currently made about resource allocations. To sort out the mess that he left behind. But maybe he, one day, perhaps we'll have to wait for his memoirs, could account, ...could account for his role in the most disastrous decision of all, which is the illegal invasion of Iraq. Yeah.
3: Mm. Nick Clegg in Prime Minister's Questions yesterday. Well, in the last 24 hours, Downing Street has sought to explain that the Deputy Prime Minister was speaking in a personal capacity... ...and that his comments do not constitute official government policy.
2: So, not to put too fine a point on it, the system as it currently exists is ever more rapacious more people go to bed hungry. Um, What would it be like if you had a conscience to be working where you know you're responsible for the deaths of millions of people and not to do anything about it? I would have thought it would have been almost unbearable. So perhaps that's strong evidence that the Deputy Prime Minister is in fact a psychopath rather than just a sociopath. Well, increasingly people are doing things about it I don't want this to be a pessimistic episode. I see more and more serious challenges to the existing social order. I think there are people, yes, at the top who appear pretty determined to try to ride this tiger, who if necessary seem ready to destroy planet Earth to save it. I'm not with Morris Berman on this. I don't think their power is going to last for much longer. I'm a big fan of a Truth and Reconciliation Committee. Maybe we can replace these rather puerile notions of punishing wrongdoing with a more mature and thoughtful approach about how we can create the world in which we would like to live. We didn't talk much about law and justice in this show so far, but if Chris Larkham's idea of no map come to fruition, then An economic system which replaces the money system will, I think, in very short order, also replace the existing legal system. Why would we need to have hierarchically defined mechanical justice when we have a much more direct, less abstract, and a much more personal decision making tool available to us? Like to conclude with a dedication. I confess I didn't choose 511 at random. It was some audio that was provided to me by a long time unwelcome guest listener and close friend of mine, Alex the Speaker's Waldridge, who is now no longer with us. My heart goes out to his family. And I would like to personally say on air what a fine bloke he was and how much I loved him. Let that be an encouragement to all of us to express the love that we have within us. Let us follow our hearts, live our dreams and do what we can to think outside the box and live an authentic life beyond money. This and all previous episodes are available for download from our MP3 archive at unwelcomeguests.net. Thank you all for your contributions. I couldn't make this show, and I wouldn't make this show, if there weren't a lot of people, such as Alex, who contributed either feedback on existing episodes, ideas for future episodes, or material which deserves a wider audience. Our theme tune is by Billy Bragg with lyrics by Woody Guthrie. I would encourage you to give all you can to help other people to escape the trap that is money. To help these workers,